0: Welcome to TechSing, episode 369. TechSing is one of the original two buddies talking to each other about their projects podcasts, chronicling the adventures of myself, Justin Vincent, and Jason Roberts for the past 14 years, our startups, our life, and general tech stuff. Uh, But every now and again, we bring folks on that really interest us and have a chat with them to see what they've got going on. In today's show, I invited Jack Ellis, co-founder of Fathom Analytics, to join me for a friendly fireside chat. About how he and the Tiny Fathom team scaled Fathom to be installed on over 500,000 websites. Jack Ellis, hello. Uh, thank you very much uh, for, for joining the show. We certainly do have a lot to talk about. Thanks very much for,
1: uh, for being here. Yeah, man. My pleasure. Thanks for having me.
0: Okay. Uh, so um, when I talk about a lot to talk about, um, these are the things that I think that that uh, TechSync uh, listeners will be interested in. Um, your success as an indie founder and that story, um, growing Fathom Analytics to a huge business with a tiny team, uh, your ongoing pick-a-fight marketing strategy with Google, which is something... <laughs> <laughs> which is something that's kind of interesting for us right now, uh, for stuff that we've been speaking about recently. Um, your extensive use of the Laravel ecosystem, um, your use of serverless to support your full infrastructure, which is, um, for me, kind of a shocking decision. And I'm really interested to hear about that, but it, you've, it's worked super well for you. And you also use serverless database single store and uh, other interesting tidbits. So, uh, So
1: hello, welcome to the show. Cool. Okay. I'm I'm happy to get into all of those. Sounds good. (laughs) Well, so first of all, where are you? Whereabouts are you based? So I'm Central Canada, but I'm originally from the UK. I never would have guessed. (laughs) No, I know. Well, I mean, look look at the room behind me. You know, the video is it's a wouldn't get this size room in the UK, I feel. I know, right? Everything's so expensive over there. So yeah, Central Canada, not like Toronto. I've been in Canada since 2016 and Hmm. in Super Central since 2018. Tell us about Fathom. What What is the
0: story of Fathom? In our show, we're really interested in hearing um, sort of like the incidentals as well.
1: Like where did it come from um, and how did you get here? I mean, it came from a philosophy that analytics should be simple. You shouldn't need to have some kind of special training to use your analytics dashboard. And Fathom exists to actually let you see what's going on on your website versus trying to dive into Google Analytics and work out what's going on. Now, the privacy aspect really came secondary. It was really a case of, you know, we can focus on doing this in a privacy-friendly way because, you know, we're sick of what Google's doing with our data and obviously everyone else, not everyone, but enough people are sick of what Google's doing with their data and they're sick of the privacy scandals and they're sick of all the stories. Um, And so we really kind of, stumbled into that privacy-first approach. And then we have simple privacy-first analytics. And people come and use us for multiple reasons. Some people want to bypass ad blockers. Some people want to support indie businesses and not give their data to an advertising company, advertising giant. Um, and there's really a bunch of things. And with January 22, we found ourselves in a position where suddenly Google Analytics was being, um, was receiving these decisions in the EU, where companies were using them and the data authorities were saying, no, you're going to get a fine because it's, it's effectively illegal. And so Fathom's like, oh, well, hey, look at us. We've got this EU isolation proxy, which uh, protects data from going to US services. And if you're going for this really radical level of GDPR compliance, like if you're a German company, for example, any Germans listening will know what I'm talking about. It's, it's less common in the US for them to even think about um, like EU proxies and stuff. But uh, that was a huge huge growth stage for us because we had the proxy in place because we were watching the ruling we watched the court ruling happen and then we put ourselves in a place to then if anything oh hold on let me let me rephrase that um we knew the court ruling had happened and we were waiting for a decision by the data protection authorities and then come january they started making their decisions and we said well look at us we're ready to go and we capitalized on that because you know we're we're compliant. Okay, but just
0: to, going back uh, further to the beginning of the story, like the indie founder story. So, mm-hmm. you
1: as an indie founder, like what were you doing before Fathom? Uh, before Fathom, I directly before Fathom, I was doing consulting, and before that, I'd failed hard at trying to go f- uh, full time on my own my own startup called Raw Gains, which was a bodybuilding application. Nice. Let's hear about that. <laughs> you want to hear about Raw Gains? <laughs> just just a little a little bit about
0: um so. Because because the the thing is, what's interesting is you must have um, on your journey, you must have kind of learnt, learnt from that, brought those learnings into Fathom. And then, yeah,
1: so I'm interested to sort of hear what the journey yeah. was. Yeah. Raw Gains was so valuable for me. I quit my job in 2013. I had enough money saved. I was living at home and I was going to work on this for, you know, six months. And then at the end of six months, when I launched it, I was going to get a thousand customers in a few months, you know, because that's just how it works, as you know. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> and I never really got to launching it because I'd spend my time. Uh, I had something called, uh, what was it? You know, when you procrastinate because you're overthinking everything and yeah. you just want to have the clean code because clean code's so important for launching an MVP. <laughs> but for, Yeah, exactly. And it was perfectionism at play. And, and for some reason, I just the, – there no, I'll actually tell you why I had that. So – I had an experience when I was 15 when I was coding on something, and I shouldn't have been involved in this project. It just, you know, how the internet works, where a kid can be involved in building something huge. (laughs) I was involved in a project, and the project went incredibly viral, and I had no idea what I was doing. I was trying my best, you know, I was skipping school to work on this, and this project crashed. It wasn't my project. I was just paid £30 or £120. To spend all my my life on it, basically, and it was crashing and burning, and I couldn't I couldn't work out what was going on, and you know, in hindsight, it was because you know I, I'd build something like a forum, and every post I would do a sum, no caching, um, and it would just be recursive and problematic, and that then laid the foundation for me to have this perfectionism because my body was trying to avoid having that trauma again when I built projects. <laughs> And that really, really messed me up. It, it, I'd say messed me up is a, is a kind of permanence comment, but it really caused me to have to fight against that because that was now with me. And so coming around to Raw gains, I'm thinking, okay, I never want to have bad code. I want to have the best code. I'm going to spend my time in IRC listening to people who you know, aren't, aren't in the startup world, but they're talking about clean code and Uncle Bob's clean code. And I'm not saying it's, it's bad. I mean, clean code's cool, but... There's a time and a place for learning things like clean code and it's not when you're trying to get an MVP. And so I spent a lot of time just doing the wrong things and I learned a lot and I stumbled into consulting, got really lucky there. And then I started, I just started doing that for years and I'd occasionally build these little things, but they never took off. And uh, yeah, then met Paul Jarvis and we were originally building, we were building a medium competitor and we were just about ready to launch that. And so Fathom was originally a project done like by Paul Jarvis and another co-founder, and it wasn't growing fast enough, and the uh, and Paul's co-founder backed out. And so Paul had a conversation with me and said, look, I'm going to kill this thing. And I said, well, the only other option is that we ditch this other thing we're working on. And I come in as, you know, we reincorporate the company, restart it all over again, rebuild it in Laravel, and we, we go for it. And it was about like a thousand MRR, and it was growing, you know, really slow. So he could have killed it. And then we decided, no, we're going to actually try and take this somewhere because there's, you know, Paul had an audience, and there's a bit of validation there. Let's see what we can do. And then the rest is history from there. Well, so a thousand MRR. I mean,
0: that that's pretty significant. So you were starting, you were starting with something, which is which is a much better place than where you were with the medium competitor because you had nothing and you had to grow no everything. You had no revenue, you right. had to grow everything. And so you validated that it was working. But but you say the rest is history and, you know, um, we don't necessarily know what that history is. So that's that's what I would want to go into the detail a bit. And yeah, man, for, sure, okay. for sure, for um, sure. But so, so I mean, G- Gabriel Weinberg talks about uh, growth in, as like step functions. So just, you know, you go through a phase and then you do a marketing effort and then you go through a step function and then you go through any step functions. So when you, uh, what was your sort of first step function, if you can cast your mind back, uh, with Fathom? What was oh, the first first things cool. that you did?
1: All right. So the early days was rebuilding Laravel, was building features as fast as possible. You know, I had my consulting. So I, I literally had to say, when I'm working on Fathom, I'm losing money because I was billing by the hour for my consulting. Right. So I was losing money and we what did we do? We built it in Laravel, we launched it, and then we were focusing on a version two. And version two was this big dashboard upgrade, feature upgrade. And that was really where the focus went because there were limitations in Fathom that people had started to complain about. And we had ideas, you know, me and Paul had tons of ideas for what this could be. And so we launched version two, you know, on product hunt and everything. And I was, you know, we were really working hard at it. And it included a database migration because the database was awful. Everything was in SQLite files and it was just a mess. And as Laravel developers, we don't have our migration files that then go through a bunch of SQLite files. It doesn't work like that. And we launched version two and, and it started to pick. I mean, you know, we started to get more trials. And looking back, it's obviously it's nothing now. But at the time, you know, you're talking incremental. Is always what we're talking about here. And it was a jump because suddenly we had a better product that was more along the lines of what we thought it should be and what our customers wanted it to be. And I think at that point, I know this sounds really silly, but an apologies for the background noise. uh, My dog is apparently having a fun time, but we, we had suddenly had the ability to, you could filter by path name, you could filter by referrer and get granular data. Now I know that sounds, those are kind of table stakes and analytics, but at the time, you know, we were the first privacy-first analytics platform. There was no one else doing this, and so like we, we we survived for a long time without having any drill down, which is ridiculous to think. But you know, at the time, that's how it was. We launched that, and then suddenly things start taking off. And then there's really been a series of things, and I'm really trying to think back because this has been going on for a while. How, how many? Uh, so you said 2016. 2018 I 18. think or okay. late 2018 maybe so four, so four or five years yeah and how you described it is exactly what we've done you know one of the early things I said to Paul was I'm like Paul you know you've got this audience you've got um, you know your book and everything we need more distribution channels and we, we spoke a lot about that and I, I guess I'm now a distribution channel which has just magically happened through the work that I've done in this Laravel community everyone knows what Fathom is which is really cool um, but there's other things you know like we've we dabbled in a bunch of things. The affiliate program was really funny. I remember thinking, oh, this is going to be a huge project to build all of this, an affiliate program, really complex. Me and Paul sat down and in the, in the over the course of, I think, four hours, we built the entire affiliate program, including the, uh, mass, the automatic emailing of the CSV file for Paul to process each month and send a payout. And that was a huge lever because suddenly people can make 25% for referring their customers which uh which And so yeah.
0: and is that a significant I mean even today does does that affiliate program account for a significant amount of
1: uh, Oh yeah we we like pay a, out
0: thousands yeah yeah
1: that that's still Well I mean in it, terms
0: of like I like in terms of uh like would you say it's like 10% of your user base or like uh, like came in through affiliates or 20% or like what would, if you could give a percentage uh, without <laughs>
1: if you if you don't mind by the way if you don't yeah mind. no for sure no no that's um I'll be honest with you I don't know I'm <laughs> I'm the worst entrepreneur with regards to data because we have so many things right now you know um, entrepreneurs try to optimize and they try and get data and stuff and that's just they they want to see what's working they want to measure things we're not actually at that point because we still have such huge demand on like it, like when we launch google analytics import in the next i think few weeks that's going to be huge. That's going to take our product market fit and just double it. And so we're not like, am I measuring anything? I mean, <laughs> I'm not. So I haven't even got a good answer for you. Um. So how many people do you have? Uh, do you have working in Fathom now these days? Um. So full time, there's four of us, and then we have contractors, part timers. So then there's three or four or five of them. But um. So yeah, the small small core team and then people, experts to help us um, with the other things. So this speaks to um,
0: your decision to go serverless and use Laravel Vapor and build on top of a serverless infrastructure. And by the way, that's kind of the reason why I know you because I was looking to Laravel Vapor and found uh, your serverless course, um, your Mm. Laravel Vapor course. And I always just like to just find, okay, who's written a great course and I don't care, I'm happy to pay, you know, about this thing that I'm trying to do. So you had written that course, I'm not quite sure how I found it. It might have just been a simple Google or something. But um, anyway, back to the back to the point. Like, so the idea—I don't know—ten years ago of of someone coming out and building an analytics platform and not managing their own infrastructure just sounds insane. It just sounds
1: insane. Like, how is that even possible? Yeah, I mean, so I think it's more insane for an indie maker to manage their own infrastructure. You know, I have so many things in my head. And we're, we're two founders, right? But there's so much in my head that I'm thinking about features and complex work that I've got to do. And even in the early days when it was just me, now I'm managing other projects and it's a, it's a different story. I suppose the question is, why would I ever want to add the burden of uptime, of update patching, uh, you know, zero day exploits, all of these things that I'm having to now worry about on top of you know the, the core product work? For me, my time is best spent building product. It's not It's not um, spent managing infrastructure. So that's really been my core philosophy around this. And I think if I was more of a DevOps person, and I thought, you know, I love servers, and I, I know everything about servers, maybe I'd think differently. But I'm not going to spend any time getting up to speed and even doing the work, you know? Even with like t- Terraform managing stuff, I'm not going to do that. It's just not a good use of my time. So do you think... Um...
0: Uh, are your uh, subscriber numbers uh, public information like how many people how many customers no the
1: only thing i've published you know i troll on twitter about our mrr because i think it's funny to wind people up and like we're not actually at you know a billion arr i mean you'll be surprised to hear (laughs) um no we we have we're on over over five hundred thousand websites that's the only thing i've said publicly i think that number's gone up significantly since i tweeted that though because we're still growing and things even today things are really growing fast but No, I'm boring. Sorry, I'm not public Do you have any free plans? Um, No, no plans at present. That would be very hard to make happen because you have to factor in things like support. And uh, we talked about this yesterday, actually. Our support is quite significant. We have someone full-time on support. With analytics, you have things like people can make mistakes on their WordPress installs. Even with documentation, people still need a bit of hand-holding. And so you have a cost of servicing a customer. We're not at the place where everything is optimized yet, where we could even experiment with free, because if we did, we would see a surge in support. And I'm not just saying that it would be free users complaining about stuff, but I'm saying it would be additional work to do, and there'd be no that. that ROI by the on way, that. the reason why
0: I the reason why I ask is because it just blows my mind. You run 500,000 websites, and you you don't have a free offering. Like that's just that's just insanity. I mean, I don't know how you manage to do that. And but also serverless. <laughs> Serverless is the only possible way you could have done that. Like, there's like the fact that you've got scaling happening. It, it, how like how are you scaling? How are you able to serve five hundred thousand websites? Let's just talk us talk us through your stack top to bottom.
1: Yeah, sure. Okay, so the HTTP layer is obviously all Laravel, ALB at the moment for ingest, and Laravel can handle you know the queue. Uh, it was running. SQS is being used. So let's let's go through it. Yeah. Okay. So hits ALB. It goes through to lambda lambda is pretty scalable the only limits you've got on lambda are, are is the burst so if you have three thousand concurrent requests you can run into issues there and that's something that we're currently working on we, we rarely i don't think i've actually seen us hit because to get 3k concurrence you'd have to have um like it would have to be you know, requests can finish and then that container can be reused right so 3k concurrence for that to actually everyone would have to hit at the exact same second we we don't really see that happen much but it still can happen you you know, guys you can imagine so we're really having to think about that and we can process tens of thousands of requests over the course of seconds but when you get into these 3k concurrence all running it is is actually the same time and the same millisecond we're going to hit problems, and uh, I'm currently working on a solution there. So that isn't the permanent solution, just to be clear. But why? But that's where we are. Right why
0: now. is that? I'm, I thought that um, I thought that with Lambda, it basically had the capability to spin up any number of... Um...
1: Yeah, so it scales up, right? So every five minutes, it can scale up an additional one uh, 500 concurrence. But you still have this burst concurrency. So if you took a bunch, uh, like a botnet you've got, and you hit it to... Um, well you get rate limited by our firewalls but if it was legitimate request let's just botnets uh, legitimate request you hit us on the exact same millisecond and you throw you know 20,000 requests at us in the exact same millisecond there's going to be issues because the the burst is only 3000 and that is a, a, a you know a core issue with lambda and and yeah that's something that we're currently working on because to me that's a concern we're not running into errors but you know we're growing pre pretty- <laughs> <laughs> right. Okay. So, so,
0: so we're talk- so basically we've got Laravel stack. So this means that when you develop the system, you're developing on your local, your local box, just like a yep. regular Laravel kind of crud style, you know, scenario. And then you are deploying that with Laravel vapor and that's going to AWS Lambda. Then your requests coming in and they're hitting your Laravel app. Mm-hmm. And then you're passing off those requests to SQS, this yes, ingest correct. to SQS. Yep. Then what's happening?
1: From uh from there we have our. it then hits Lambda again. The reason we do this is if our database falls offline, you know, multi-AZ SQS can hold the jobs until our database comes back. Even with high availability, there's still the concern of if we're doing updates, database falls offline for 10, 20 seconds. I don't want those to be lost. So we have the queue in between. Nice. So Laravel works through them persisting the database connection between um, invocations which is really nice so we're not opening closing a database connection for every job which would be you know painful wouldn't doesn't scale trust me i've tried it it does not scale and that happens and then that's it that's the end of a page view and that's going all the time and so then that pushes into um
0: so you you're a big advocate of single store you've looked at a lot of different database options starting with um uh sql like one sql like database for every customer kind of option <laughs> yeah <laughs> which awful. and you don't look very like that was you you it, from the look of your face you're thinking mm, that wasn't the good idea absolutely um, and so then you've moved to single source so tell us about your your database journey and and what that's all been about
1: yeah we started off on heroku on postgres uh, postgres had a few th- postgres had this this vacuum thing which always threw me off a little bit as well um it I use Postgres because I thought, oh, Postgres scale is better than MySQL. I don't know why I thought that. I mean, Postgres is, is solid, right? A lot of people use Postgres. Um, I just shouldn't have used it because I'd spent all of my life using MySQL. Who am I to then suddenly play around with this technology just because I heard it's better? And so we soon reverted back to MySQL and we were using JAWS DB on Heroku. And it was expensive in the early days. And my sequel got up to a certain point, and I was still, I was still worried about it. I was worried about future costs, and then suddenly Vapor pops up, and I was already worried about Heroku scaling. Heroku would not do auto scaling unless you paid for their premium Dynos, and we wanted high availability, so we had to pay. We would have had to have paid for two premium Dynos, a minimum of a grand a month, um, for both of them or I think it's or a minimum of $500 a month. I forget the specifics to get auto-scaling. And I'm like, this is early days, bear in mind. We're, every dollar counts. Yeah, and it still does, but back then it really does. And so Vapor comes out and I said to Taylor, can I get early access and get on there? And we do a migration, I'm playing around with it, and it's just amazing. And everything's working fantastically. It's exactly It solves our problems. And so I migrated our application to Vapor and RDS. Laravel Vapor. Yeah. Laravel API, that's right, and RDS, RDS for MySQL. That lasted for a period of time, and then we had a customer called JS Fiddle, and we suddenly saw issues, and they were wonderful, and they, they couldn't load their dashboard, but they were, everyone else could, but they were really relaxed and nice about it. Now, what pops to mind with JS Fiddle? Well, we run a sum group by path name in one of our boxes. JS Fiddle has millions and millions and millions. Of path names, so the cardinality is through the roof when you're doing a group by. MySQL cannot handle it; it just fell over, and it you couldn't do it. It was absolutely nuts. Then we had another customer who did even more than JS Fiddle. They were offering Universal Basic Income in Germany, and you know that each application was a unique path name, and you can imagine how many applications they had running a nationwide campaign. The German for, people, for UBI. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it was absolutely nuts. And we also ran into an issue there where where our IOPS, our, um, our IO, whatever it is, you know, Amazon gives you a certain amount of reads and writes. It's not as simple as read and writes, but it's IO on the disk. And we were hitting that limit and we figured out a solution and it basically meant we had to increase our disk size. So I was paying for all this extra disk size on the off chance that I needed the extra IOPS that it came with. This is how RDS does things. For
0: the burstability of it. Yeah.
1: Exactly. And then how often did we burst? We didn't burst very often. It was just a case of I don't want to see, you know, 10 million page views in the backlog because it's all being held up by the IOPS being exhausted. So there are a bunch of reasons why RDS was just awful and we couldn't get fast queries. And the more data we got into our database, the slower it, it went. There weren't any. Uh, there weren't any indexes you could do to fix this. You know, this wasn't an indexing issue. It was a uh, My is not built for uh, OLAP data. It's just not. It's built for OLTP, and it, and it does great at that. You know, you got solutions like Planet Scale. You know, killing it on OLTP. Um, I don't know about the pricing there, but I mean, they're killing it on OLTP. And so we needed something that could actually handle analytics. And I got hit with an advert, I guess, because I was looking for it, and then I explored that. I thought it was too good to be true. This is single store. Yeah. And this was after exploring. I explored ClickHouse. I've since been back and looked at ClickHouse, by the way, because people think I just said, because I was worried about the relations between the US and Russia at the time. Things were really heating up and I was worried that they could be, they fixed that by the way, and they've moved, they've moved things or. They fixed you know, r- that. relations between the US and Russia. <laughs> <laughs> they fixed their company structure and it's all, it's all okay. looking good now, but. Even their, their tech is not as fast as single store. Single store is just so much faster, and so we end up on single store, and get everything started going fast, and we were spending more on our database, but problems were solved. So basically,
0: sing, so basically, with so basically, AWS is almost taking care of your entire load on five hundred thousand websites, but you've got the three thousand burst problem. Single store is taking care of the load on five hundred thousand websites.
1: Yeah, I mean single store. single store is built for incredibly high throughput even on their smaller plans it's i mean it's i i guess it is public who uses them you can look in the case studies but some of the biggest financial institutions in the u.s use them for like car transactions for uh, banks all of this stuff and I've, i've i can't say who i've been on calls with but i've been on calls um with people working for some crazy companies and they're doing ridiculous scale because it's a it's a sharded distributed database so the scale is in the scale is literally infinite and you can't say that about my my SQL. sorry so you so you don't you don't think
0: you're ever going to need to to change uh, like single stores that's set and that's solved that's a solved problem so basically database is solved for you
1: oh absolutely yeah we're, we're good we can scale forever we can scale but, to yeah so basically not. ingest isn't solved that's still an issue no uh, ingest is about to be solved um we're, we're looking at what we can do i mean i'm looking at cloudflare workers and things like that for ingest and cloudflare workers has no limits of any kind it's unlimited and they're going to charge you and um, i've had my beef with cloudflare and i've been public about that i kind of made amends with their ceo i want to say about a year ago because you know i had some issues with cloudflare and i had issues with their business model i had interest in i had issues with a few things and then i spoke to i spoke to a ceo of uh of another tech company. And he was, you know, talking about the challenges with competing with companies like Amazon because of you know it's Amazon, right? Mm. And I sort of got a empathy for companies like Cloudflare and why running at certain losses to compete with Amazon to offer a, a different alternative makes sense. And I sort of buried the hatchet and uh yeah, and then I just got told about Cloudflare workers, and I'm like, oh, I don't really want to write in Node.js or JS or whatever it was. And I thought, well, hold on a minute. The reason I like Laravel is because of the ecosystem. I can build my whole app the testing, everything is amazing in Laravel. And I, I do want to say that people don't realize people are hyped about the JavaScript and everything. Laravel's better. Laravel tells you what to do and it gives you a standardized way of doing things. So the wait, whole wait, wait, app's... So, wait
0: sorry sorry uh, just just go back there people the uh... I need a link. The people are hyped by the JavaScript. Laravel does better. I didn't quite understand that. Yeah,
1: so there's a lot of hype around things like Next.js and the JavaScript ecosystem and all these hot new frameworks and things that keep coming out. Um, When you kind of go into JavaScript, there's a lot of gaps you need to fill in. You know, things like Auth. Auth is a good one. You know, you have to kind of pack it together and and make choices. Laravel Auth is, (laughs) you know, I mean, you build Laravel apps. Everything's sort of decided for you. Yeah, and the ecosystem is just solid and Taylor's done such an incredible job of just giving you solutions to things, the queue system, the rate limiting, everything's there. Um, So yeah, we're exploring other things for Ingest and it's not a Laravel issue, it's an AWS issue. The only other option for serverless I see um, at present, I, I don't see another option to be honest with you. I need, I can't live with that 3k burst concurrency. That's a huge issue for us. Couldn't you just have separate, multiple Amazon accounts? Yeah, multiple? so that's a, that's a potential solution is you have the organization, different accounts, new limits, and then you have to deploy your app to all of these accounts each time you go live. And one of the things we have for 2023 is taking our ingest and deploying it globally. And Lambda at Edge has limitations that don't work for us, and then the deployment, is, the deployment can't be done through Vapor. Now, I know this is really edge case and I'm talking about it because it's, it's fun, but this is super edge case for us. I want fast latency worldwide. If you're, if you're in the UK and you're going to use our new server side API, which is launching this year, and you're going to send us page views, I don't want you to take a round trip to the US. I want you to hit the UK, UK puts it into a UK data center, and then it, it goes over to our US database so for ingest realistically yeah i think we're going cloudflare workers on that because of the limitations in in lambda so you built so you built um an api yeah so people want to and i'll talk about the limitations and the and the problems here too. people want to be able to use server side tracking for their page views you i mean yeah you might have a laravel app and you might say oh actually i don't want to put any javascript on my website i want to you know perhaps send it to Fathom or dispatch a job that then sends Fathom a page view or you might want to track events throughout your Laravel app. Um, We're going to be launching this API which allows you to do that on behalf of customers or on behalf of your customers I mean so like you know you handle their IP address and then you can either forward that to us and we'll anonymize it or you can anonymize it at your end and there's going to be a bunch of stuff there that can be done. Uh, So with that, the complications and why it's taken so long to get live was just really debating how we we stop that from being DDoS attacked. Uh, We get DDoS attacked a lot, and there's a lot of, you know, I can't really talk a lot about that, but we get DDoS attacked a lot. And so whenever we launch something, we have to think about how a competitor might look to attack us on that front, uh, which is really weird. It's a really weird thing to you know because you're building your product and that's fun but it's thinking okay how can this be abused how can i be attacked and we have to think of things like okay well we can't rate limit on the server ip address because hold on a minute they're just acting as a proxy and we can't limit on x forwarded for because they could be spoofing that and then blah 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 and you have all these problems ultimately though we're just going to have to implement some kind of reasonable limit You know, we don't do that on our JavaScript. You could have 100 million page views on our 100K plan and we'll ask you to upgrade, but we're not going to stop tracking them.
0: Is, do you have a, uh, am I right in thinking that there's an open source version of Fathom?
1: Oh, that's really old. But yeah, there's a Golang. That was the original Fathom version, the Golang version.
0: So the original uh, Golang version, was that uh, in any way uh, part of the marketing that got you to where you are today, do you think? Um,
1: I, I think that definitely, that played a part. I mean, it be yeah. Of course, it did. Definitely played a part. And so, what, what, like, so, what was
0: the journey with the open source? Was how early in Fathom's history was that? Did that exist?
1: This was um, this was before I was actually involved, and this was it was called another thing at one point. It was called like Ava. I don't know what it was called. It it was called something else at one point, and this was kind of a fusion of Paul and a previous co-founder into building this this product. And the open source was fine, but. I wasn't going to try and maintain a Go repository. And we originally said, okay, cool. Well, the Laravel code base will be open source. And then we got into things like, you know, how I don't know how long you've been following me, but I got into a place where I was really excited to use DynamoDB and I was going to build everything on DynamoDB and, you know, this, that, and the other. How am I going to open source that if I'm writing it specifically for DynamoDB? It just felt like there was this big burden between open source and building stuff specifically for our environment if you know what i mean yeah and it just i know exactly another, what you mean. yeah and another thing i'm not very good at i don't like the i saw it you know on twitter yesterday someone is hounding taylor for a private function name or something along the i don't know if it was private function It might have been public but not documented it's like a background function someone's hounding him about that and taylor's at a place where he's like you know just you know calm down it's all good I can't I can't do that Um, I'm not in a place where I want to tolerate um, entitlement from open source I don't think I've got the the brain for that and Paul definitely hasn't got the brain for that he couldn't do people moaning all day about stuff and that's the toxic side of open source so I think open source is good for certain things and you know maybe fathom one day we'll get there but I just don't I don't
0: know. So it sounds like, so the thing about it is, it's like starting a, a product like Fathom reminds me of a product like Twitter. It's like you you can build an MVP to do the core functionality in a weekend kind of thing, you know, but you can just get, build the absolute basic to just insert rows in a database and yep. then it becomes much more complicated. So in theory, <laughs> in theory, hearing, hearing your success, um, every developer could go out there and build Fathom right Um, what would would be uh would you would you care about that like what would be your thoughts about that if everyone decided you "You know what let's do that they they used to do that
1: i used to care so you have to know that there have been a ton of people doing this this you know when you when you work in public and you have a lot of public success people think it's easy and people think i can build that you know that's the developer joke you know i can build that and i can build it in a weekend there's so much more, as you know, that goes into running a business than just the tech and building something that kind of works. I'm not going to put a script from a random kiddie startup on my website because people, you know, developers understand what a JavaScript file can do in the wrong hands. I need to trust the person who's running it. I need to know that their experience. My my technical background is building software for huge international law firms i've i have the experience in high levels of security and those sort of things and so you know it's you don't just want you're not going to put a random javascript file and some people will but most people most serious people will not put a javascript file from a random kiddie startup on the website and you know it's not as easy as it looks there's a bunch of stuff that goes on behind the scenes so no, it used to bother me because people would copy our colours. They copy our cats. People literally copied our cats, which me and Paul like just randomly came up with as a joke. You copied our cats. Like, Wait, what's what cats? Cat? What, on the, the Fathom cat? homepage, there are some uh, pictures of cats. Yeah. So on the Fathom on the Fathom site, um, the
0: the pick a fight, like you like, it's all about picking a fight. It's all about it's 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 very much like Duck Duck Go. And um, I'm just curious, like. Did you, so you said, you said you didn't start out that, that sort of happened, but was there ever a moment, like a conscious moment where you decided, you know what, fuck it, we're going to, we're going to take them on. We're going to really go for this.
1: No, this is not a DHH thing where it's, I'm intentionally looking for fights all the time. You know, the base camp do that. That's literally, you know, people get a bit bored of that. I mean, it's funny. Yeah. It's funny when you know what they're doing. Some people just get hooked. We're not looking for constant fights, right? Like if, here's the thing, if someone's doing something, like imagine someone is, like you're out in public and someone's filming you right and they're taking notes on what you're doing what you're saying if you then confront them are you picking a fight or are you just responding to someone already being really shitty you know it's we haven't manufactured this fight google has awful privacy practices google's analytics product is really opaque in how they handle data you should not be in a situation where you have this huge advertising company can suddenly see what a person is doing and how they're browsing the web same with Facebook's, uh, you know, the Facebook, the spy pixels, whatever you want to call them. That's not okay. That's th- that this kind of advertising company can just stalk people. And we obsess about this, when, even when we're anonymizing the data. If you visit five sites that Fathom's on, we're not going to see that you've visited those five sites. We anonymize this data and we don't keep access logs. And so that was really, like, we're addressing a problem in the marketplace. We're not manufacturing something. We're not manufacturing fights. So it, that's how we look at it me and Paul aren't really big fight but we could market fathom without fighting Google you know that's that's almost that's an important part of it sure but at the end of the day one of the big things we're doing is also making people's lives better by offering simpler software and uh, and also the European lawmakers are picking a fight with Google there's already a fight that's, happening you know we're
0: just
1: yeah we're just trying to solve we're just trying to solve things and yeah so um,
0: Another question I have for you is who is your payment provider? Stripe. And um just this is also relevant to stuff that we've been talking about on the show lately. How do you
1: deal with uh global VAT collection and all that side of things? Yeah, it's a headache. So, yeah, most of the EU exports is B2B. The US in terms of thresholds is like maybe just over in certain states and then the Canada stuff our accountant handles so we're actually getting to the place where that's going to be more of a headache and i don't know what the solution is going to be and and why is it more of a headache because of the thresholds because we're gonna have to start registering in a bunch of u.s states that we currently don't have to register in okay because doing b2b to the eu is all zero rated as a canadian business as a tax treaty it's very easy oh b2b okay right yeah and we have and that's that's just it so it's, it's like companies and stuff and uh Yeah, it's a headache, and ultimately we're going to have to figure this out. And where we're currently at is we're looking at Paddle. I don't see a way in which, you know, like, I don't know know what this is going to look like. Part of me wants to just go, okay, well, let's just try and handle this all ourselves, and let's register in these things where Stripe's notifying us now. Let's register in these jurisdictions, and let's get this sorted. I honestly just think it's such a mess when you're using Stripe. This isn't handled for you, and this is now a burden for for SaaS providers. I mean, what do you do with your SaaS? Do you have a SaaS? I I did have a
0: SaaS and I I sold my SaaS. I I had, I had an oh, exit. Nice. It was a social media dashboard. Um and uh my my co-host Jason, he has a SaaS called Math Academy that's just uh coming to that magical place where he's just crossed um he's just getting super close to 500 uh paying customers and it awesome. it's, he's got like the sky's the limit for 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 his app. He's been building this thing for for 7 years. He's he's a cool guy. He was employee seven in Uber, and um, no has deal. done has done some great stuff, and is also kind of a character as well, which is a, another reason why people like the show. Um, so let me just see. Uh, I'm just going to look for some other interesting things.
1: Yeah, sales tax is a complete headache, and it's broken right now, and it's ripe for disruption. Paddle's doing it. Paddle. We'll see. This is something on our list currently of, of businessy things. I mean, this, I, I, this yeah, like,
0: if you're, if you're following your own pattern, you would use someone like Paddle because essentially you're outsourcing your database, you're outsourcing your servers. <laughs> so now you should just outsource everything. So that, that
1: kind of makes sense because Paddle uh, work in a kind of merchant of record way and yes. they take the total burden. Lemon Squeezy is appealing too. You know, I know the team at Lemon Squeezy and they give me a lot of confidence. You know, and we, I just talked to you about the people you trust. They're solid. Like Paul knows the design. One of the designers that founded it, and he's he's good. I know I know a few of the developers there. Is Lemon Squeezy related to Paddle, or is that something different? Lemon Squeezy is a merchant of record that's um, built on Laravel that's been oh. popping up okay. with the Gumroad fallout. Lemon Squeezy have been capitalising on that. So like, I use Gumroad for my courses, you know. And well, you did you did an interesting
0: thing, which is which I, I for me this is this is like kind of unimaginable. But what you did was you had built your Laravel serverless course. Built it in your in uh in your app and it was it was your own thing, and then you shifted it to gum road. Now, I'm a complete control freak and I want control <laughs> of everything. And I would find it really hard to do that. But you but you're very good at doing that. You you're very good at buying and not building. And that's I think that's a big part of your success.
1: And I don't have the mental bandwidth to be managing another Laravel app. I'm already at capacity, right? It's probably why I forget things, but I'm at capacity. I can't be thinking about other things i've got to manage and uh, you say i'm good at buying and, bi- and not building i am but when you buy you you do lose some control and that can bite you in the butt when you pick the wrong vendor some a, a new post that, a, a post that you've written
0: that i now point people to um this idea can php scale and yeah. um there's <laughs> there's a lot of stuff on I can use. like php is the is the language that always gets like poo-pooed by the smart people (laughs) you know and it's like and i think you like i saw your post and you're just like okay i've had enough of people saying php can't scale this is the definitive post about that
1: yeah i mean firstly a lot of people on hacker news are idiots um and not idiots in the sense that they're not technically skilled they just they're so detached from reality and a lot of them should probably use some of that big tech money and invest it in some therapy because it's not healthy to be that angry. It's not healthy to be that toxic when people post stuff. It's not toxic to want to have arguments, like really like horrible arguments with people all the time. And it's not not everyone on Hacker News. You know, I have loads of friends that use Hacker News. But, so that's, yeah, number one, Hacker News, just be careful with with the people there. That's all I'd say. Now, there are loads of things on Twitter. Does PHP scale? PHP doesn't scale, blah, 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 blah. Well, guess what? PHP is not going to be your issue if you're building a modern web application. It's going to be your database. That's going to be your issue. Um, And then we can do these benchmarks, right? And we can talk about multi-threading and blah, 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 blah. If we look at real world examples, you're going to do just fine, and sure, you may spend more. So if we're saying, okay, on a server, we're going to use Golang or we're going to use Laravel, which language or which framework versus language can get the most, I guess, requests per second if that's your measurement? It's going to be Golang. Golang will outperform Laravel on a server. Of course it will. When you're building applications, you have to factor in the entire ecosystem, and it's going to vary as to what you kind of want for everyone. Look at Laravel. You can literally get everything. The ecosystem is the most powerful ecosystem, I think, in, in all web applications or in all languages. I mean, name a, name an ecosystem better than Laravel and it's going to vary depending on who you ask, but it's just absolutely solid. And so, yes, I could run Golang and yes, I could get more performance, but I'm going to lose the entire Laravel ecosystem, which is just such a huge loss for a business to not have access to that ecosystem. You know, we we use it all the time. It's so valuable. It makes us move so much faster. And hacking around in Golang, it just doesn't appeal to me in the same way. But mileage may differ. My main point with that article is to say don't don't get obsessed about this request per second metric. Chances are you're never going to get there. So that's number one. Most people think they're going to scale and they won't scale. I know very few people doing the scale that I'm doing. And, you know, we're doing just fine on Laravel. The only I mean we could actually We could have gone with servers and scaled this out further. And if I'd have done what Lucas, um, who I work with, he's our DevOps guy for the EU isolation, he would easily have scaled Laravel across servers and Terraform. I'm just not prepared to do that. And I'm not prepared to work around Lambda edges, limitations in the serverless side of things. But um, if you're hitting big, big scale, you're likely going to be able to afford afford devops as well like we could we could technically afford devops to do that if we wanted to i just prefer serverless at the moment and as i said in our you know in the private webinar yesterday i think you were you there yesterday, I, you was was there, yesterday. Yeah, I was there yeah you know it's nuanced it's not a binary answer so the main point of that post is don't stop using laravel or php because it doesn't
0: scale because someone says and and, th- and I've I've seen this happen multiple times. Like someone someone will come in and say, "Oh no, you got to change your stack. You're on, you're a on PHP." Yeah,
1: yeah. exactly. <laughs> you, so you know you know the feeling. Every Laravel developer knows the feeling. And I just got sick of it. And I just you know what? Fuck this. I'm just going to write this article. People can read it. And you know, Wikipedia uses PHP. There's loads of sites using PHP. I guess Wikipedia can't scale.
0: What's your um, educational background? And and before you answer. Uh, let me just let me just tell you that I'm CTO of two companies and I do not have a CS degree and I left school at 16 so there's no it's not a loaded question. I'm just curious like
1: Yeah, no, school was incredibly boring for me. Social side was alright. I always wanted to work on some kind of business. And I've got nothing really. But I think I've got a, a U in some in like computing. I still, my daughter likes this story and I maybe shouldn't be telling her she's four years old, but I kind of want to teach. But my computing teacher once sat me down and he says to me, you know, Jack, if you want to get a job in web development, you're going to need to start paying attention and doing your homework or whatever it was, otherwise you're not going to get a job. And I said, well, I already have a job. And he didn't know what to say because I was already doing. I was already doing part-time work for a weather agency. I already knew what I wanted to what do. What age? What age was that? That was like fifteen oh, like, or something. That was like sixteen, I think. Like, I didn't. This was all bullshit. Like school was a complete waste. I have no. <laughs> I have very little confidence in the modern education system. But I was still engaging in learning, and I knew very much what I wanted to do. School's great because you don't have to specialize. But I already was ready to to specialize. You knew where you were going. Yeah, and honestly, homeschooling would have been better for someone like me. I saw my friends outside of school, and I think about my daughter, and I, I lean towards um, homeschooling with her. I'm going to, you know, we're going to teach her a bit differently. The only thing you've got to worry about is the social side of things. You know, if I was homeschooled, would I have still seen my friends? We we homeschool Jack. We ha- we homeschool Jack, and um, the, startup oh, the, the startup that I, uh,
0: uh, my day job, one of my day jobs that I'm CTO is called Modern Teacher. And what we do is... Um, for, for the exact reasons that we're talking about we work with school districts public school districts and we basically yep. uh, flip flip the classroom so we make it so that instead of like the teacher um sort of pontificating to a, a class full of kids we make it so that the kids are like in pods of three and two and the teacher it's more like a homework session so yep. we, that that's essentially what we do because and so every kid can work at their own pace in their own customized way
1: oh you man know. so hold on you <laughs> homeschool your kid so how yep. how long have you been doing that for um, well, he's he's in
0: second grade now, and I'm only just beginning to understand the grades. My co-host is always saying to me, "Oh, she's eighth grade," and I'm like, "I hate what does, it. What I can't mean? either. It's what hard." What does that mean? <laughs> but anyway, uh, he's like second grade now, so um, he's eight.
1: Yeah. And how have you found it?
0: Well, because my my wife uh, is is the smart one and has done a majority of the work.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I found it fantastic, oh dear, that's <laughs> but uh, no, she Thank does. She does her.
0: really uh, amazing work with him, and he's so he's so far ahead. It's it's insane. It's very good. He's he's like um because we 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 with the state we have to do the testing. You know, we have to do regular testing um about where he's at because they give you it's if you don't go to public school you can get funds for like as if you're going to public school and then you could apply that to homeschooling, and so he's testing
1: at like a grade uh, five reading level. Course, of course he is. Yeah, so that's great. <laughs> i'm so surprised to hear that (laughs) if you can do it it's really it's it's such a privilege you know not everyone can do it and it is just such i mean that's where remote working even remote working it's hard to homeschool if you haven't got the i guess resources for one of you to be able to focus on it where i see it working with us is wife will be doing the majority of it and i'll be doing you know a bunch of it because i've got to balance it amongst work and so it's going to be interesting to do but yeah i'm I keep talking to entrepreneurs who homeschool. So that's really interesting to me that it's more common amongst entrepreneurs. Cause we were at school and we we I don't know. It's interesting. Oh no quick
0: question I have for you. Um, do you use have you ever been like involved with indie hackers website? Um, do you use it much? Are you part of that community?
1: Did it ever play a role for you? I don't really use that. I mean it's to me it's I don't want to be negative, but it feels like it's it's not really relevant anymore it's sort of dying a little bit um that's my perception whether that's true or not it's i don't know but no it's not really my crowd of people like, a lot of founders will just market to other founders you know right. and that's not i know it's not just about marketing but i i'm really fortunate that somehow i'm connected with tons and tons of really smart people you know like i can message ruben gomez who like knows everything about SAS who's been doing it for like 13 14 years and has way more experience and i can pick his brain i can pick i could reach out and i could get a call with rob Balling and pick his brain i could reach out and get a call with all these people like jason cohen of wp engineers so said,
0: all like, the people yeah so the, so these the, all these guys you're talking about we've we've interviewed on texting and um we were very fortunate to have like come up in the in the heyday of of bootstrappers so ruben and rob You've interviewed all, ruben Oh I've, yeah, we've interviewed. So you picked
1: his brain. He's like sharp as hell. And I
0: believe two times with with Ruben's been on the show. Yeah. Um, and then R- Rob Walling's been on the show many times. Yeah. In fact, he hosted our our 300th show, which was like an anniversary show, just talking about it. Um, but that was one thing I was going to say is like when when we started, a lot of this type of stuff just wasn't really there. It wasn't commonplace. So now it's interesting with indie hackers where it's quite. There's so many indie hackers out there who are all trying to do the same thing all trying to start the start an mvp and it's just a different it's just a different vibe i think i think it's harder these days i think it's harder because there is like there's so much competition and the bar like the to build an mvp it's almost like you need to build a minimum awesome product like you can't (laughs) like people are expecting more you know like there's the frameworks are better the ui the the basic ui is better like when i started i mean you you could have just built A twitter script that auto posted tweets and it's just like a shell script and people would have paid for it (laughs) but now it's like it's just a whole different world
1: i mean yeah it's that's going to happen you get more people more competition and that is expected the the biggest thing i notice in in modern day is a lot of people haven't got a clue and there are too many (laughs) thought leaders that are throwing people off i see people that are running three SaaS products i'm like oh because i don't know what one's going to succeed i'm like you not know how product market fit works. And we we just had Ruben Gomez on our podcast, and it's just it's funny to talk to someone who actually knows what they're doing with finding things like product market fit. They know the things, they don't know the answers, but they know the things to try to see what's going to happen and, and what they need to do to actually get that fit. And I think thought leaders are really disrupting the the whole landscape because you've got just you know people that don't understand stuff they're thought leaders but they've never done the thing and people are listening to them because you know for whatever reason do you use twitter much (laughs) you you know the answer to that i use twitter a little bit occasionally maybe once every month yeah (laughs) so you so you're
0: on twitter a lot and you do you do have conversations um with people on twitter and do you i mean it is it a? I mean, what what is your marketing channel at this point? Like, do you do you actually know what your marketing channel, or is it just like word of mouth? Uh, I mean, where's everything where's the new business? Oh,
1: Yeah, it's it's yeah. I mean, word of mouth is a huge one. Lots of people recommend Fathom. Uh, SEO would be one. My content, you know, my goal with my content has always been to give back to the Laravel community with my blog posts, and it's definitely done. I don't care if people buy Fathom. You know, it doesn't matter to me. Me writing does Laravel scale doesn't mean that people are going to buy Fathom. A lot of developers probably don't even care about privacy. You know, they're they're fine to use Google. and So that's definitely a channel, though. You know, I've got 3,000 people on my mailing list that I can just send my content to. So that's definitely one. Do you you think that, like, building... uh it's been
0: important to build uh, relationships with people like Ruben and um, other people like that. Like, do, do you think that's like an after the fact, you built those, you built those relationships after you were successful with Fathom? Do you think that it was important during the, the, this, the ramp up? Or I mean, how does that work?
1: I mean, there has to be some kind of common ground. I think me and Ruben gravitated because of, you know, we we're both running businesses and there's, you know, shared interests there. Um, I don't know. I just click with Ruben for some reason. I don't know why. Ruben's got a good humor as well. And so I just guess I clicked with Ruben on Twitter and then like we speak and Ruben's given me some really good advice multiple times on just um, like mindset stuff. And he's, you know, he's a, does he listen to this? Po- if he listens to this podcast, I describe Ruben as a wise old man.
0: <laughs> he, I don't know if he listens. We, we do, we have like a, a, a weird thing where we do um, like a couple of hours uh, show. Um, every two weeks so so and it's a it's a lot of content to listen to we're we're more of a character-driven show you're following okay. the, the justin and jason
1: characters because you've been following them for years at this point <laughs> that's 14 years wow so what what's your experience in the Larva? i mean so i i know your name i know i've seen your name a bunch of times but we haven't really sp- but we've spoken obviously on dms but on um on discord or, or slack and stuff but what's your uh, what's your history well i mean with with
0: regard to laravel my history is because i'm 25 years in this in this building stuff with php um i was building a, a lot of stuff for various different startups and companies and always building my own framework and um i'm definitely the kind of person who it's really hard to convince me not to build something <laughs> and um when laravel came out it's like okay that is a framework that's better than I could do, and I think it's like okay, I'm ready to move on. I'm ready to hand off this piece to another person, and then and that was just since the first time I saw Laravel, and and we've been working on that, you know, from from version one, it's great.
1: When did you, version one? So hold on, so you were around in the days of Kyle? Do you remember? Did you ever go on Forest? Uh, Kyle Bragger, Forest. It was like a developer community where they. I shared I do remember work. that. Oh yeah, Forest. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. do remember that. I think we might have interviewed him on our show. I think Laravel popped up on there. I don't know when I first saw it. I was using Kohana. Do you remember Kohana and Codeigniter? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I call uh, it Kohana. Kohana. Sorry. Yeah. It probably, <laughs> but that's yeah, okay. That <laughs> sounds about right. Codeigniter, yeah. But like the Kohana's ORM was incredible. But then you thought, oh, this is amazing. This is the best. And then Taylor, driven by his incredible ability to write documentation, took it to the whole new level. And I remember, I, I wasn't there on Laravel 1, but Laravel I would have been in college, oh, in mean, sixth form we call it in the UK, um, and I was looking at Laravel and just being completely blown away. And so that well, was... the
0: reason why I liked it was because it was because Ruby on Rails was the cool thing,
1: and I really yeah. didn't,
0: <laughs> I really didn't want to have to move to another language to use right. these cool frameworks. Cause I remember seeing that very first Ruby on Rails video and it was like, he was like, and now we're, you know, we're creating a controller. Da-doom, yeah. da-doom. And that was like amazing. Like when you first see that, when it, like back in the day that was an amazing thing. But then um, Cake PHP came out and that was oh, like yeah. so confusing Cookbook. and like yep. big and like, like a oh my God. And then, but then Laravel came out and it was like, okay, this is finally something that is as easy As a Ruby on Rails and it's within the PHP community, but it just kept getting better. Like what I, what I've have just been astounded by over the years is you talk about the ecosystem, how the ecosystem has grown, like every different thing that you want to do, even stuff like Livewire, just basically you don't need JavaScript because like Laravel, if you, if you work with Livewire, Laravel will do the JavaScript for you and give you this single page web app without you building a single page web app, which is kind of insane.
1: No, that's true for sure. I remember Zen Framework. I remember a bunch of things. And Laravel just always, it just became the thing, didn't it? And it just kept on growing. And yeah, talk about Livewire. I mean, we use Inertia. We were using Ember.js before for our front end. I love JavaScript, you know, and I was writing it. We rewrote it in Inertia quite, quite quickly, actually, two of us. And inertia has been great, but that's because we like JavaScript. I like that there's a section of the Laravel community that's like, no, nah, I don't want to write JavaScript. I'm going to use Livewire and get all of these benefits out of the box. And Caleb is it? Have you had Caleb on your podcast? He'd be a good guy to interview. That, that no, we haven't, but that, that's a nice idea. Oh, Caleb's so nice as well. Like, really nice.
0: All right. Well, um, I think I think we're we've we've sort of we've had a good a good chat. you look. you you're literally yawning.
1: So oh, I'm definitely- ready for my I'm ready for some food. I haven't, I didn't get time to eat. I like, I was just rushing around with my kid, and so I'm ready to eat. I didn't get a coffee either. I like to have a coffee, um, kind of midday-ish and I haven't had my coffee because I haven't had two this morning. And yeah, all right, dude. No, you're a great interviewer. I I'm not yawning because of you. <laughs> this was really good, and you <laughs> you asked some questions that are the right level of um of depth, which I like. It's not just surface level. You actually claw away, you know, beneath the surface and get some get some material out of it so i really like that
0: well thank you very much jack ellis thanks very much uh good luck with fathom and all the other stuff that you're doing um and uh yeah really really appreciate it
1: nice one justin thanks so much mate